And as you are opening, um, let me pray for all of us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gathering of your people, and we pray that you will speak only your word um, to all of us, and that your will be done in our lives. And we pray that these words will give us um, the confidence um, to, to, to go out and live um, in this world with your strength. And we pray that these words will also make us um, desire you and, uh, and, and, and you only. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Psalm 27. When I asked a friend of mine uh, what, where she goes, um, if she had a place of, a re- of, of, of refuge, she, did, she said without hesitation that she went to this boat dock at, at Dartmouth, um, a small liberal arts school in New Hampshire in in U.S. And she said it's quiet and you can see the river moving there. Um, It's constantly changing and it it helps me to put things into perspective, she said. And for a while, Psalm 27, I thought, was about a refuge, a place of refuge, a place where you go to get rest, to be refreshed, um, to gain perspective. And that's probably because the only verse that I knew really of Psalm 27 was um, verse 4. The one thing that I desire, uh, what I seek, is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And temple, in verse 4, seems like uh, the perfect description of such a refuge, such a quiet place, a place where to gaze up upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple, as it says in verse 4. And my friend wanted to escape often from the busyness and the bustle and the pressures of this college life. But David's desire, and I know that you guys all have things that you want to escape from, things that are happening in your lives right now that you want to go away um, to get rest and perspective. And I'm, I know that that's the case, but I'm pretty sure that David also wanted an escape. Um, desire to escape was probably stronger in him. So look at what the, all the things that's facing him. So look at verse 2. There are evil men advancing against him to devour his flesh. They attack him, in verse 3. An army besiege him. In verse 6, this, um, the enemies surround him. If, the, if, there is a, um, if this is the pressure that he's facing, I'm sure that he is looking for a refuge, a place um, to escape. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Even that verse seems like a refuge surrounded by verses 2 and 3 and 5 and 6 that really speaks to the imminent dangers that he's facing. And in that environment, David, David speaks of this one passionate desire. It's numerically singled out, this one passion, one desire. There's no other place like it, like it in the Bible. It's literally his singular desire, his singular ambition. One thing that he seeks is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and be with him in his temple. Now, is it escape that he desires? An escape from the pressures of his reign, an escape from his enemies, does he want to reign, uh, resign from his kingship uh, and walk into the life of being a doorkeeper in the, in the house of the Lord, in the temple? Does he want to be a monk 
if he would be, uh, if he were in this life. A monk cloistered away from the real world of strife and danger and greed and lust and jealousy, this evolutionary world of dog-eat-dog world, and escape into the quietness of the temple. And perhaps some of you here um, today are wanting that sort of escape, the quietness and perspective that church offers in the midst of your hectic work week. But if you look at these verses closely, David doesn't want a quiet life of a doorkeeper. He says in verse 4 that he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. But if you see verse 5, he moves from the temple swiftly into the troubles that plague his life that day. He sings, For in the days of trouble, Lord, uh, the, the Lord will keep him safe. Keep me safe in his dwelling. He says he needs God there in the days of trouble, at the place of strife where he lives. He needs God to rescue him there. You see, uh, Christianity and God and Jesus and all that we do in the church isn't for the resting. It's for the living. We need God in the place of the living. And if we continue on to verse 6, he says that the result of the holy desire is the exaltation of his head above his enemies. In other words, rescue and vindication, that God, to be the, God would be the salvation, deliverance in his daily life. And this goes with the theme of confidence in verse 1. The Lord is light, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? It is God for the daily life that he desires. For God is the stronghold of his life. He is the light that drives the darkness away. The salvation, in which in Hebrew is the same uh, word for deliverance. God is his salvation. God is his deliverance of his daily troubles. Above everything else, his singular desire is not so much the temple, what the, uh, the, the temple and to, to be in the temple, his singular desire is what, uh, for what the temple stands for, which is the presence of God, for the strength, deliverance, salvation that God gives as he fights to reign as the king of Israel. God isn't just a refuge that we go to from um, our enemies, as an escape from our enemies. He's the stronghold that allows us to confront our enemies, the strength to face up to the ups and downs of life, the obstacles that we face in our workplaces, in the relationship problems that we're having, problems with your spouses, with children and friends. We view Sundays as an oasis often. But God doesn't say goodbye to you as you leave this church on Sunday. The church is just a place that reminds you to seek God during the weekdays. A place, where, um, a place that, that, that reminds you that your singular desire should be the presence of God, not just on Sundays, but Mondays through Saturdays. That God is your stronghold and, and, and refuge and salva- of salvation as you work and strive, strive, strive. Um, relate and praise and cry and laugh during the, day, uh, dur- during the weekdays? And why is it that we forget to desire God in our workplace, in our universities, and in facing our daily lives? Why do we keep God out so, of so much of our lives? 
And if there are those of you who you say, well, I am seeking God with all of my light, uh, all of my might. And I wonder if that's, once again, if you are wanting an escape from your daily life or if you are wanting all, all the, all the aspects of your life um, be transformed by, that, by the presence of God, for your home and workplace and relationships to be transformed by that relationship with God. If we desire God with all of our hearts, if we show that our singular desire, if, if our singular desire really is the presence of God, then all of our lives will be transformed. There's no, um, it's, it's inevitable uh, that our schools and workplaces, offices and families and relationships will be transformed by God's presence. And every day, our cry should be, one thing I ask of the Lord is the presence of God to dwell with him in all the days of our life. Actually, when your singular desire to seek, seek God, um, a curious thing happens. You will also become a confident person. In a way, the fear is the theme of this psalm. But psalm, uh, the phrase, whom shall I fear, is repeated twice in first verse. And if you just look at the list of troubles that he's facing in the first three verses, evil men are out to devour his flesh, enemies and foes surround him, wars break out and false witnesses rise up against him, breathing out violence, he says. And you might not fear wars and enemies that are out to kill you, but I'm sure there are real fears in your life as well. Once again, I was talking to a friend about her workplace, and she told me that she, um, she feared being uh, viewed as incompetent, lazy, stupid. So she said that she puts on this fake fa- uh, face of confidence. And she says she can't really be uh, herself in her workplace. And that's something that many of us can relate to, not just in the workplace, but in every day of our lives as we relate to others, isn't it? And then she went on to say more poignantly that she's... She fears that she's being molded into the shape um, that, the, that the workplace wants her to be, as they define success rather than how God wants her to be. People are constantly telling her to be more assertive and more fierce. And so she does. And as she fakes it, it affects her pride, and she's afraid she started to believe that, that, that she's entitled um, to different things, that, 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 that her, her opinions are always right, and she fears that she's losing the humility that she used to have. And once again, that's not just a workplace. It's the whole world. The whole world wants to shape us into certain molds, into its ideals, with the pressures of materialism, the false ideas of success, even false virtues, I mean, we, the world wants us to be self-confident, self-confident. And although fear is present throughout the psalm in Psalm 27, actually, the real theme is confidence. Verse 3 says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then uh, will I be confident. In verse 13, I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He is confident that God will hide him, that God will vindicate him, that God will, do, God will be his light and his deliverance. He says he can stop cowering 
at the face of his fears and start, start living the fullness of life. Ironically, David is confident because he's humble. You see how these words of David undermine um, self-confidence. Self-confidence is uh, dangerous for all, but I think especially, especially dangerous for uh, successful people with great power and influence, the people who have worked so hard and achieved so much. And despite the fact that David had been a great warrior king, successful king, the most celebrated king of Israel, he's not confident in this psalm in himself. You see, his singular desire is to dwell permanently in God's, God's presence, and that desire had made sure that he, he, he rules in the right way, that he exercises his kingship in the right way, with the knowledge that although he reigns as, as king, that God reigns as his king, that there is a king above him. There is a king who made him, who shaped him, who promised this kingship to him, and who had made him and sustained him, sustains him, and guides him as the ultimate king. And David could then declare that he would, re- he would be rescued from his enemies, that he would be exalted, not because of his might, but because he has a king himself, a Yahweh God. The Lord is my light and my salvation, he says. And he is, uh, as he is king, he says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? The song brims with confidence, not of his own ability to rule or the might of his power, but in God's power. Because God rules, because God is powerful. And we become fearful and worried in our lives, or places in our relationships, because in, in so many ways we live as practical atheists. We live as if God doesn't exist, as if God didn't run our world. And when we say we do believe in God, we still think of God as a mere referee or a judge in the end, rather than our Father, rather than our light rather than our salvation, stronghold. David's fears were real, and whatever fears that you are facing now, I know that they are real to you as well. But you see, God is real. God is certainly real, and he is ruling over this world, and he is the great father that has been given to you. He, he, he lives in that relationship with you. And David, as David um, drew his strength, in that relationship, I hope you will as well. Don't let the world fool you into thinking that you are the captain of your own destiny, and don't let the workplace fool you into thinking that you have to perform, you have to be in a certain way. The Lord still reigns. Don't let the world mold you into their, view, uh, their, their, their ideal of, of a successful person. Be secure in your relationship with God. Your God is light and your God is your salvation. And such confidence actually will make you humble. Because this sort of person doesn't need to be envious, doesn't need to be jealous. He can praise, um, praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him because his security lies with God. Rather than touting his own virtues, like the world wants us to do, like a peacock, he can concentrate on putting on Jesus Christ, his heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility, because he seeks Christ. 
Can you imagine your life freed from all these fears? Freedom that comes with knowing that you could be yourself. Trusting God will take care of his people. That the Lord is your light and your salvation. So seek him with all your heart. Be confident in him. But finally, pray. Pray to him. The psalmist's desire and confidence uh, didn't end with mere declarations. It comes with an earnest and humble uh, uh, search to have a relationship with God. If the first half of the psalm is characterized by confidence, David has in the Lord, the second half is characterized by his search for a living relationship with God. And it it feels a bit strange to think about, because if he's so confident, why does he plead so much? In verse 7, he pleads with God. He says, hear me, be merciful to me. In verse 8, he says, your face, Lord, I seek. In verse 9, do not, verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord. He pleads with God. And it's a bit strange to think that David had been promised a permanent, a permanent dynasty. God promised him that, that, that he and his descendants will, will rule. God chose him and he, uh, he anointed him. God made a covenant with him that he would rule over Israel. But yet, David still prays and pleads with God. He seeks this personal assurance with God. I think David does this because prayer assures him that God is real, that he is not God. Prayer at first is a proclamation to oneself, to ourselves, um, that, um, that God is a real God. It's one thing to know God's promises and quite another thing to call upon his name, to speak to God in the confidence of that promise. If God isn't real to you in your life, I think it's very possible it's because you're not praying to God. Because you're not enjoying the intimate relationship that comes in, 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 in crying out to God. The promise becomes more real because God becomes more real in our lives as we bow our heads and pray. And as we close our eyes and dialogue with God, God does become a real person to us. And as we address God in this way, we also remind ourselves that we are not gods, that our salvation lies outside of ourselves. And that is what this prayer does too. It reminds us that God is in charge. And that is why I think kneeling in prayer is such an appropriate posture for us. As we kneel, we remind ourselves that we are dependent beings, that we are God's subjects, that God is our king. And what is amazing for all of us is that we know God much more closely. We have, well, we have the potential to know God much more closely than even David knew God. More intimately, David addressed God as King, Lord, Yahweh. A covenant God for sure, but God who is unlike us. Because Lord as his king. But in the New Testament, we call, we are given the privilege of calling our God our Father. Because even as we, when we are enemies of God, Christ died for us, and he has adopted us as his children. 
And because in Christ, uh, we get to call, uh, we get to have this relationship with him, and we're given the spirit of sonship in the Holy Spirit. And as we plead in prayer, we remind ourselves that we have a father, and that our father is the one who is in charge. David called out to God in the days of trouble, and even now, I know that many of us are struggling with many things. Enemies surround us, family members pass away, our health is failing, finances are worrisome. Elements of our lives may be spiraling out of control. We'll then be reminded as we pray that we have a Father, loving Father, in charge. We lift our eyes and talk to God in prayer. And even in the act of prayer itself, we'll be reminded that we are in God's loving hands. God's not just our refuge. He is the strength for the living. He is God who is with us as we face our enemies, as we go out and live in the real world. Jesus is for the living. And as we're reminded, and as we seek that God every day, then we will become confident, that we will become humble, And I pray that you will be a prayerful person. I pray that this church will be a praying church, having this living relationship with God, because that's the only way we will continue to be confident in God. And prayer is a manifestation of our true desire. And if you really desire God every day of your life, I know for sure that you will be praying. David ended um, this psalm with, uh, with these words, I remain confident of this, that I'll, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And I pray that as you pray, that God will be your strength.